0: This is The Star Coach Show with Meg Renschler, Episode
1: 222. In some ways, I see us us collectively siloing more and more into like, okay, I just can't, I just can't, you know, I just can't have this conversation with this person. Like, th- we just see the world completely differently. And there there are moments of that. I'm not saying that I don't myself have moments of that either. I'm just saying I cannot stay there if I want to stay true to my overall goals and vision of creating a more just society, because. In order to have that, there needs to be dialogue. There needs to be conversations, even when we intensely disagree. And if we just keep going to a place of disconnection, I think we're seeing where that takes us and it's not pretty. So, you know, I just, that compassion piece for me is right at the core of this model, you know, it's right in the center. And I really think that that's where it belongs because as we get through all five of these, they all move back and forth it's fluid you're not staying just in one area and they move internal and external and so that compassion kind of holds it all together
0: welcome to star coaches the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies tools and resources whatever your focus or niche Take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach, and I am delighted to welcome you to the show. We have a really important show for you today. We're going to be talking about cultural diversity and how we partner with our clients in a space of cultural respectfulness and responsive and responsible nature. And we're going to look at five tiers of understanding of growth of development towards the that cultural responsible nature as coaches. I'm delighted to introduce you to my guest today. Rebecca Eldridge is a licensed psychologist. She focuses on facilitating guidance and support for aspiring allies and anti-racists, as well as providing culturally sensitive therapy for adults. Now she's going to share with us the road that she walked through her doctoral training in counseling psychology where she made a decision right out of the gate to focus on multicultural specialization and she's going to share the different opportunities that she's had to teach multicultural counseling graduate courses to develop and offer support groups and home visits to female refugees in Houston, Texas, and all the different cultural trainings and consultations that she's provided over the years to individuals and groups. So over the last 19 years, She states that she's been deeply humbled and honored with the trust of hundreds of therapy clients from diverse identities and backgrounds. And then last year in in 2020, she began creating new programs to offer guidance and support for aspiring allies and anti-racists wanting to break free from status quo, to be able to speak up more confidently against bias, even in their closest relationships, with a hope of contributing more to a just future. Rebecca is so well versed in this topic. She is so gracious and I'm just honored that she's joining us today to share this very important message with us to give us five areas to focus on both internally and externally. So, that we can become that much more culturally responsible and respectful in our coaching. So, let me introduce you now to Dr. Rebecca Eldridge. Dr. Rebecca Eldridge, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I have been really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Me too. So you do
0: some really important work focusing on our differences, on culture, on so many aspects that I think in just the current climate, it makes it that much more in the spotlight. And that being said, I think our own bias, our own perspective is something that coaches need to be thinking about all the time and therapists you're a therapist and, and our audience is primarily coaches, but many different, many different professions listen. So when we think about the aspect of cultural differences and how we as helping professionals show up, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And before we even go there, I'm wondering if you would share just a little snippet of the journey that you've walked to do the kind of work that you're doing these days.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, the professional piece of it probably began almost 20 years ago now when I started my graduate program. And I had specifically picked a graduate program that would have expertise in cultural diversity because I already was drawn to that at that point in time. But my background before that, I mean, I grew up actually in a pretty homogenous relatively small town area in the midwest and then just started having opportunities fortunately through groups that I was a part of to travel to to go to inner cities to go to different countries and the more I experienced differences amongst people the more I wanted to not just be kind of passing through but to actually be able to really get to know and understand more about those differences and the injustices that were embedded in those systems. And so that drove me into the counseling psychology program that I did at Southern Illinois University, and then continued to build on it through my practicum and internships and postdocs, leading to some great opportunities afterwards to work with female refugees in Houston, Texas, and to teach graduate courses in cultural counseling and to work with hundreds of amazing, diverse people that, that really honored me by letting me into their internal worlds. Oh, that's so moving
0: and so important. So when we talked about what when I learned what Rebecca did, and we were exploring, I just knew that I had to get you in front of my audience to share this important work that you do and to give us all food for thought. So if we think about ways to be more tuned into our perspective, the way that we're showing up, the way that we're interfacing with others, you have a model that you'd like to kind of walk us through to give us, I think, a deeper dive into that and a tool that would help us be more introspective perhaps if th- does that
1: sort of fit i think so absolutely that's a good that's a good intro to it and to go back to even what you said initially this is really this can be used by anybody if by coaches really any helping professionals really any human being who cares about showing up in a sensitive way to the other people that they interact with So this is basically cultural hacks. I I hesitate when I say that mostly because I don't love the word hacks. And that's just kind of how it works out. So you'll you'll see why as I talk about it, but it is a, a shortcut. It is a tool that people can use to kind of identify where they might be getting stuck or tripped up as they're trying to work with people who are different from them. And when I talk about For me, doing therapy and having a multicultural specialization, I talk about how that applies to every single person that I work with. Because if I start out assuming that we're the same, I'm already wrong. And if I start out assuming that we're completely different, I'm already wrong. So this is something that we can use across the board for all the similarities and differences that we have with anybody that we come into contact with. So the hacks.
0: I'm already so excited. Like, as you lay that out, I'm like, yes, we all need this. So let's
1: start at the top of the hacks. Okay. So actually we're going to start at the bottom of the hacks. Okay. Um, Let's start at the bottom of the hacks. Well, and I say that because if you picture this as kind of the Maslow's hierarchy, then you can picture how this is in layers from the bottom up. And And so the the foundation is humility. Bigger
0: and it's humility. Okay
1: cultural humility. And you see this in the literature. um, In general, cultural competency used to be used. And now you see cultural humility being used a lot more. And in this case, I'm even talking about humility in general of how we show up saying, I don't know it all. I'm making mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. If I'm even trying to show up in a culturally sensitive way, the mistakes have to be a part of how I'm coming into this because if I wait to be perfect, then I'm not doing anything at all. And that's going to miss the mark too. So, you know, humility with all of these, there's an internal and an external component. There's kind of how we go about our internal process. And then there's how we bring that out into how we show up in our interactions with others. Yeah, I was just
0: going to ask when we are okay with not having all the answers and and being open and curious? And how do we then, what's the best way to communicate that?
1: Well, so it's going to depend a little bit on the situation. I know it's nice to always have shortcuts. However, not everybody wants to be the source of our education. And I think that that's important to note as well. So I think creating spaces where we can explore, where we can try things out, where we can even ask, like, I'm out of my element here. Is it okay if I ask you a question about this? Or even acknowledging, like, I don't know what it's like for you. And I think that that's a tool that probably a lot of coaches and helping professionals know already is just at least to acknowledge, like, I can only know what you tell me. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to be you. And so I don't want to assume that I know what it's like to be you. So we can kind of feed that into our conversations fairly naturally, I think, if we're okay admitting that We don't know it all, and hopefully we are. And the other piece of it is to then not start from a place of, but my way is the right way. You know, the way I do things is the good way, the normal way. And if somebody does it different, then mm, I don't know about that. And so that's where it can also show up in terms of our interactions. Like, oh, I noticed that you do it this other way. I'd really like to learn from you, or I'd really like to understand more about that.
0: And that's such a good fit anyway, with what we try to strive for as coaches in the more masterful we are, the less knowing we are, the more (laughs) we invite Uh, understanding of the other person's model of the world, the other person's perspective. So such a good fit yet. As with everything, Rebecca, I think it's one of those things that it sounds simple, but that doesn't make it
1: easy. Right. Right. And I mean, making mistakes, most of us, uh, I'm going to say, especially in helping professions, we're there because our intentions are Good. Our intentions are to be helpful. And it's really hard to accept that our intentions are not going to be enough, that those aren't ultimately going to be the thing that counts. And so absolutely, like you said, I think going into it with that perspective of part of being masterful is also that humility and really focusing on that that deep listening to the person that we're talking to and to what they have to say about their feelings and their experiences.
0: Wow, absolutely. Good. So anything else about the the foundational piece of humility?
1: I will just say that a lot of people like to skip over these foundations, these lower levels, you know, if, if somebody is saying, oh, I, I want to do more, I want to be better, they they want to jump to the action piece or the skills piece, which comes later. And that that's one of the biggest faults that I see is people kind of under or undervaluing how important it is to have this foundation. And to have a way to respond when we make mistakes, because if we're trying, then we will make mistakes. And it's so easy when we're trying and our hearts are in a good place to have our response be defensiveness when we get told that somehow we've said or done something that was offensive or was hurtful that we didn't intend in that way. And so I think it's an important place for us to also be able to check ourselves on those maybe first impulses And again, come back to that humility to take in feedback when somebody is willing to trust us with it. So
0: good. It's like we've got to have that grounding. We've got to be centered and grounded into that before we can build on anything else. Absolutely. So, so so good. So Let's make the assumption that we worked on our foundation, that we are grounded in that humility, that willingness not to know, that curiosity about what the other person needs. And what's, what's
1: the next piece of the hacks? So the next piece is awareness, cultural aware- awareness. And again, there's the internal and the external parts of this. So being aware of what's going on for you, what your own internal thoughts and feelings are, but also what your own identities are, what your own places of privilege are, and recognizing that this this isn't a dichotomy and it's not, you know, one-dimensional, that there's all these different aspects of who we are and we can fall into a place of privilege in some areas and a Place of being disenfranchised or fitting in with an oppressed category in another area. And so there's a lot of, I guess, intersectionality is a phrase that fits in here. And so recognizing that awareness of our own identities, and also, again, that same multidimensional aspect of whoever we're talking to or working with.
0: Good. So look within first, and then what's the outward piece of this one?
1: Recognizing that other person the same way, not seeing that other person, not putting them into a little container or box of you're this gender, or you're this ethnicity, or you're this sexual orientation and, and assuming that that defines everything that we need to know about them, really recognizing And letting them inform us of who they are and of what parts of their identity are important and influential and salient for what they're working with us on because Mm -hmm. what they might be coming to us for as a coach or as a therapist is their priority and their identities, you know, different parts of their identity might feel like more or less an important piece of what they're wanting to work on at that time. So not making any assumptions around that either.
0: You know, assumptions can be such a slippery slope. And and I think sometimes we're halfway down the slope before we realize that it was built upon assumption. So being able to, I mean, if that were to occur, if we're in a place of, oh my gosh, I've sort of started on the wrong foot or I entered into this in a non-sensitive way without realizing it. Any suggestions for how to course correct?
1: Hmm. Well. Can you say a little bit more about like how the person might have come to that understanding? Because I think the response might depend on when and how that realization takes place. For example, if the other person has kind of clued them in of like, whoa, hey, you know, that's not me or I don't know where you're coming from or, or whether we've kind of ticked it off somehow in our heads that, oh, I think I tripped up there.
0: Well, and I could see either happening. Certainly, if we make an assumption about why somebody, if that, that maybe an issue is more of an issue for somebody than it really is. So we start directing right. down a path, which by the way, is something that we try really hard not to do anyway. But I think it's, it's maybe recognizing either through clues that the client gives, or our own internal monitor goes off, and I am completely operating around assumption here. I think it's kind of recognizing and then making a, a different choice. huh?
1: Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of, kind of interpersonal process approaches of, of just trying to be as genuine and transparent as I can about, you know, I started talking about this and I realized I'm not even sure that that's where you wanted to focus. Like, let me check in with you about how this is going right now. And if they have brought it up and shared it, then gratitude and appreciation that they took that risk to say, hey, you know, can we focus on something else instead? Or I don't quite feel like I'm getting what I need to out of this. But that's a heavy burden for a client to bear to be the one to speak up. So as you like to just try to Check in, even if I feel like things are going well, I like to periodically check in about, like, let me check in with you. How are things feeling for you? Are we on the right track? What do you need more or less of to create those openings? Perfect.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Anything else about the awareness piece of our pyramid?
1: Um, One of the tools that's really good here for the personal awareness piece is a cultural genogram. So if people have not done that or haven't done it in a while, that can be a great tool for reflecting on how we became who we are and some of the influences and patterns in our lives and our history and our families that also can help to expand our awareness into just how other people might have come to be the person that we're intersecting with at this moment in time.
0: And if people want to learn more about that, they should just Google that. (laughs) You could, you could absolutely just Google that. Just Google it. (laughs) Or are there any other desired resources or, or your favorite resources about that?
1: I was teaching it recently and I did find that there are some just YouTube videos that go over it. I would just say if you If you just get a sense of your general symbols, I mean, assuming that this is just mainly something that you want to use for yourself, you don't have to worry about making it perfect or using all the exact right symbols that are uniform in order to benefit from it. So just kind of going through all of the different cultural categories of yourself and of your family structure and looking at what the patterns and influences are there can can really be insightful.
0: To your point, if we're talking about awareness, getting additional data and information can help expand our awareness and things that we might not even have been tuned into. So
1: yeah, and with with that, with what you just said, Meg it's so important, because we might feel like certain identities are salient to us, like when I was growing up in a predominantly white town, then I wasn't thinking about being a white person. That wasn't the part that was salient to me. That, however, doesn't mean that it wasn't salient when I was doing a trip to the South side of Chicago. You know, Mm -hmm. so just looking at how... We can ignore parts of ourselves that we say, oh, that's not really important or that doesn't really define me. And yet we need to be aware of all those different pieces because they still show up in the room with us and they still might have an impact in how they come across to somebody else.
0: So important.
1: Excellent.
0: So we've done humility, awareness. Mm
1: -hmm. Next. Compassion. So cultural compassion. And again, compassion Well, compassion is like, I could talk about this category for hours, so I'm going to challenge myself to still keep it a little bit more succinct. Compassion can be the internal part, how we're responding to our own emotions, and especially feelings of guilt or shame. Because when we start to get really critical and judgmental toward ourselves, then we're not going to be able to show up in the ways that we want for the people that we're working with. And same thing then on the other side is that compassion for others. And that even if we aren't on the same page, or we don't quite understand where that person's coming from, or we see the world differently, then being able to kind of look underneath those reactions to see how is this other person a human being that's also trying to do the best they can right now. And I say that Cause right now there's also so much disconnection and animosity Mm -hmm. that we see. And so when I'm working with this, I'm not only thinking about how do I connect with or have compassion for somebody who's black or for somebody who's gay. I'm also trying to think about how do I find a place of compassion for this other white person that I vehemently disagree with Mm who is taking this very different stance. And so I think the compassion cuts across kind of all human connections, and it's also easily shut down when we get into our fight, flight, and freeze responses. And so I really focus on this area on how do we self-soothe? How do we other-soothe? How do we create a space of safety? Because no meaningful conversations can happen if I or you are in our reptilian brains, you know, and so really looking at the tools that we need for taking care of ourselves for, for being able to make space for and handle our own intense emotions. Because if we're not able to do that, then we're certainly not going to be able to be present with the intense emotions that the other people that we're talking to are feeling. Wow.
0: So important. And there's been such incredible work done around self-compassion, around the importance of that, around um, just compassion in general. But the piece that you said that is so key is if we need, this is a time that we need it. I mean, uh, we always, there's not a time that it wouldn't be needed, but there's a real challenge right now. And even as you, as you were talking, I thought, You know, I'm challenged by some of that. I'm I'm sure each of us have those challenges daily that we have to say, how am I going to show up and respond to this and remember the human connectedness?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, in some ways, I see us, us collectively siloing more and more into like, okay, I just can't I just can't. you know I just can't have this conversation with this person. like th- we just see the world completely differently. And there there are moments of that. I'm not saying that I don't myself have moments of that either. I'm just saying I cannot stay there if I want to stay true to my overall goals and vision. Of creating a more just society. Because in order to have that, there needs to be dialogue, there needs to be conversations, even when we intensely disagree. And if we just keep going to a place of disconnection, I think we're seeing where that takes us and it's not pretty. So, you know, I just that compassion piece for me is right at the core of this model, you know, it's right in the center. And I really think that that's where it belongs because as we get through all five of these, they all move back and forth. It's fluid. You're not staying just in one area, and they move internal and external. And so that compassion kind of holds it all together. What what's beneath it—the humility and the awareness—it really can't go further if there's not a compassion piece there, and the things that follow, Mm -hmm. really can't hold and, and really create impact if there's not compassion there either.
0: So it's the glue really for for
1: everything, huh? Yeah, I mean, if we even think about, you know, the core of our, our body that kind of grounds us and so much happens here, that's, that's kind of where compassion is for this. It makes perfect sense. So
0: we now have humility, awareness, compassion, What's what's our
1: next piece? Knowledge, cultural knowledge, um, and awareness, knowledge and skills were all considered core components of cultural competency. You know, from way back. So this knowledge piece is about the learning, and this is where a lot of people jump to. And they want that sense of, okay, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to study the history, I'm going to fill myself up with knowledge. And again, if if you look at where it fits, and why I had to stick with hacks, even though I don't love that term, is because I don't think that knowledge can exist alone in creating true cultural sensitivity. And books and book clubs, we need that piece. And that really helps Mm -hmm. us to grow and helps us to put context and change our perspective. And yet that's not going to be enough. Um, So the knowledge can be learning about our own backgrounds, our own traditions, kind of recognizing that history that's impacted us. What was I taught in school? What's the Mm -hmm. version of history that I know? What are the traditions in my family? And then the other piece of that is learning about what are the traditions and the norms of people from different cultural groups and having more of an expansion around our, just our sense of normalcy, you know, so that normal isn't defined so small.
0: So as you were bringing out knowledge, I had a memory of a couple different conversations that I've had that reinforced for me the importance of having those foundational pieces there before the knowledge. So if we haven't if we haven't kind of entered from a place of humility with awareness and compassion, then the knowledge that we gain is going to go through a filter of judgment. In in my I mean if we don't have any of that, so then we're throwing out that which doesn't jive with what we kind of have always learned or believed or and yet if we do the work before that then by the time we get to knowledge there's more space for
1: that to be embraced so um, yes i love that meg that was really well put and i, I agree completely and the other thing about knowledge is we're never going to have all of it you know because there's there's so much diversity I mean, I can have been doing this for the past 20 years intentionally, and I'm still going to have to say over and over again, oh, I need to learn more about that. Or, oh, that's a, that's a group that I'm not familiar with, or mm-hmm. I don't remember. You know, I, I read that, I learned that at one point, and, and now it's lost somewhere in the recesses, and I need to refresh on that. And so if we were to rely or overemphasize knowledge, then we really fall short. And on the other side, if we if we emphasize it so much and we really dive into just that piece, I mean, most people don't really love a know so it all. So, also, still doesn't show up as as what we're trying to be present and attuned and culturally sensitive. So, so important. Anything else about the knowledge
0: piece before we move forward?
1: I'm trying to just throw in some of the hows here, right? Just extra bits and pieces. So, I would say I've mentioned books in this and that is really useful also not to rely solely on books, even for the knowledge piece. So going to events, going to places, listening to lectures, podcasts, you know, really going beyond just one form of learning mm-hmm. and trying to pick up from different sources. So key because for, you know, I think about books that I've
0: read that have been really impactful, but then I I think also about podcasts that I've listened to where heartfelt experiences of what somebody has gone through, through the eyes of injustice or, or feeling discriminated against. It's very different learning yet both so important. I mean, just, just those two, let alone all the other ways that we can learn. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the experiential component, like, I I am going to reference. So we're recording this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And one of the experiences that I had that was really impactful for me was going to the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis during my graduate studies, because the experience of being there and taking it all in is just so profound. And I wouldn't have had that kind of you know, felt lived experience that really just had the chance to really soak in and grip me if I had just been reading black type on a white page. Absolutely. Such good points.
0: So we have built our way up the hacks from humility, awareness, compassion, knowledge, and now we're at the little top and what's what's up at the top? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you probably know. I, it's skills, the skills. So the place that people want to jump to first, like I want to start at the pinnacle with Maslow's hi- hierarchy. We want to start at self-actualization. And this is what people want. The, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And yet really the, the what we do at At this point, the internal and the external piece of the skills is absolutely dependent on all those other layers. We can't just jump to that without doing our work in these other pieces. So the skills is the communication, the action, the internal processing of, okay, what am I going to say? How do I want to communicate about this? How do I want to show up in this space? What are the steps that I can take? And the external piece of that is, you know, how that comes across. And, you know, I think about this, too, and the fact that once we're at the, the pinnacle, right, it's a more narrow space. So the internal and the external are kind of happening back and forth by the second, a lot of the time, you know, okay, what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? Putting it out there. And it's
0: immediately and- received. I mean, it's
1: in itself. So we're like in that, you know, we're there, we're in the moment with it how do we set an example what do we share with the people around us what are we demonstrating and teaching our our children what are the conversations we're having with our family and friends in addition to the clients that we're working with because ultimately this work doesn't it doesn't confine itself to just the client relationship right it's how do we live how are we engaging with this on a consistent basis. And I think, you know, one of the things that can be really important, which probably gets skipped over a lot is the practice part of this. You know, we, we go and we want to just be showing up and doing it. And I think things like role playing Mm -hmm. and rehearsing and having like a more of a safe environment where we can kind of try it out and get a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. so that we can show up in that moment and not, not go into our own freeze mode, our own shutdown of like, okay, my mind just went blank. I know there's something I was going to say or do here. And so absolutely creating opportunities to, to give ourselves permission that wherever we're starting from, we might be not be starting with 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years of practice of these types of conversations or these types of events or action. And so to say, okay, so we start from where we are. And that connects back to the compassion piece, of course, and just let me work with what I have and what I know and do the best that I can now. And maybe some practice might help so that when I have that next conversation, the words flow a little more easily.
0: Wow. So, so good. And So important. I mean, just this is how come I was so excited to have Rebecca on is she's just sharing such needed information. Um, As we begin to wrap up our time together today, we've looked at each piece of the cultural hacks. What is left on the table, if anything, that you want us to think about as,
1: as we close out? Mm, I mean, this is really just like a tiny little piece of a model to help hopefully you and your audience and and anybody who wants to dive deeper to look at, okay, what are the areas right now where I feel like I've kind of got some traction and what are the areas where actually we feel a little more uncomfortable or a little more unsure, like how to develop so that at any point... With this model, the goal is that at any point where you sense something's not right here or I could do something better, or I'm having some guilt come up or feel like I'm not quite doing enough or like that interaction just didn't just didn't sit well that we can kind of go to this and say, okay, like where did things break down and what can I do? Is it an internal piece that I need to work on, you know, coming back to a place of what's, what's awareness of what's going on for me right now? Is it an external piece of, okay, I really need to be able to show up and communicate this differently, you know, but that we can kind of identify at least a place for next steps. And that being said, any of these categories is like hours long, really of discussion and exploration. And it's just ongoing. So I think it's really important not to expect that we'll ever be done, just to kind of look for the ways that we can take that next step from wherever we are. Oh, so, so important. And yes, I thank you for breaking it
0: down in such a way that you're giving us information to move forward with. Not that this is wrapped up in a bow and completely done, but it, it gives us food for thought. It gives us direction to dive deeper into. And, and I so appreciate your clarity in bringing that forward for us.
1: Oh, Meg, thank you so much. It's it just a pleasure to talk with you as always. And I've loved the conversation. As did I, and, and I'm
0: sure as did the listeners. So my heartfelt thanks once again to Dr. Rebecca Eldridge for bringing her cultural hacks to all of us to challenge us to think differently, go deeper, become aware of what's going on inside of us and how we're interacting with those outside of us. And if you'd like to know more about Rebecca and the services she offers, go to starcoachshow.com slash 222 and that will take you to the episode page for this episode with the links to be able to connect with Rebecca. I invite you back next week as we create a lead magnet that people want or we at least focus on that topic. I'm joined by Nancy Fields to focus on how we get the information we need, how we create a offer, a free offer, that actually is what our audience wants. How do we get clear about that? That's what we're going to talk about next week with Nancy Fields. If you're enjoying the show, if you could share it with others, leave a review wherever it is that you listen, that would be fabulous. The more reviews we get, the more the show is recognized and other people find it so that's certainly something that's important if we're going to impact the coaching world also i invite you to join me every wednesday morning at 9 a.m central 10 a.m eastern just go to facebook slash star coach show and that will be the star coach page where we meet every wednesday morning for a live discussion about something coaching and it's always great to have you join us we have a good time until next week this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success have a fantastic week